All right, we are in 2nd and 3rd John tonight. And we're completing the trilogy, 1st John, 2nd John, 3rd John. We're, we're doing it here, 2nd and 3rd John tonight. And these are, oh, how do we put this? I called this one family. And you're, you're going to get the connection because John's going to be using some family terms here. And, you know, we kind of sing that old hymn, you know, I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. Okay. So this idea of God's church is, you know, the, the church is many metaphors in the Bible. The church is his body. The church is his bride. Okay, so we are part of God's family. And each individual church is like part of that family as well. And so we're going to see that metaphor played out today in the, in the greetings and the goodbye parts of these two little small books. Very short books. One is 13 verses. The other is 14 and they're going to go by fast. In fact, as we spent all this time studying 1 John, um, we're going to be hearing a lot of the same things again and again. And um, yeah, it's just one more time he's going to get, get to say these, these things again. So we're not going to be surprised when he's going to tell them, hey, you need to love each other. We're not going to be surprised when he brings up big words like truth. Okay? Because John is... His words, are, his gospel, his, his epistles are very powerful, but they're very simple. He keeps it real and he keeps it straight on and as an arrow. He's like that, uh, that middle school student. Everything is fair or not fair. Everything is just really straight and this is the way it's going to be or this is the way it's not going to be. And so his, 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 his letters are full of either ors. So we're in, in, in 2nd and 3rd John and... Um, yeah, he doesn't name himself here. In 2 John, uh, either one, I think he calls himself, yep, he calls himself the elder in both texts. The elder. But let's open with some, a word of prayer. God, thank you for your text tonight. I thank you for this opportunity to dig into your word. And uh, we're so thankful that your word is not just words on a paper, Lord, but it was penned by you. And your Holy Spirit inspired these authors to communicate your will and your way. God, you're not just a concept. You're, you're someone we can get to know and someone that we can know that, that loves us and that has a plan for us. The one who spoke the stars into existence cares about my day. And that is pretty cool. And I just, I just pray, Lord, that tonight just really gives us some encouragement as we see what church family was like 2,000 years ago. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so you'll see on your page here, I broke down these two books the exact same way, a greeting, a reminder, a warning, and a closing. I did make a mistake on the page. The warning should be verses 7 to 11. So those of you who are at home listening to this are going, what the heck are you talking about? Fair enough. Second John, here we go. This is the, the greeting, verses 1 to 3. The elder, the one writing this is calling himself the elder, to the lady chosen by God and to her children, whom I love in the truth. And not I only, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth which lives in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son will be with us in truth and love. The lady chosen, the elected lady. I love metaphors. A lot of commentators are like, oh my gosh, who was this woman? The chosen lady. In fact, some have taken the, uh, the Greek literally and called her Electa. Lady Electa. Who was Lady Electa? Like it was some kind of weird Marvel movie or something. 
the lady chosen by God. He's talking to a church here. This is an elder. And as we're going to see from the closing verse in 13, he's writing from a church to a church. So John is at a church, and we think he was in and around the old city of Ephesus, writing to another church. This is just one of those letters that the Holy Spirit inspired. Not only that, the Holy Spirit preserved this letter for us. Okay. Some blanks to fill in here. Truth is a boundary for our relationships. To the lady chosen by God and to her children whom I love in the truth. Loving in the truth. All good relationships have one thing in common. Every single one of those relationships has boundaries. Boundaries are very important for dating relationships. They're very important for marriage relationships. They're very important for parent and child relationships. They're very important for child and parent relationships. Friendships, co-worker relationships between uh, employees and employers. Boundaries are a good thing. Christian relationships have another boundary as well. The truth. So I'm supposed to love God. I'm supposed to love others. I'm supposed to love the Lord my God with all my heart, my soul, my strength. Okay. And I'm supposed to love my neighbor as myself. I've read the gospel. I know what Jesus said. Well, that's a boundary. You're loving God with all of you. If there's an area of your life that is not responding to God with covenant faithfulness, that area is an error. It is wrong. It is most likely sinful and an idol. Well, I could give God everything, but I just don't want to give him that. Then do not call him Lord. For you would not dare do that in medieval times. The Lord of the manor was everything, and you, the, the peasant, the vassal, the serf, you would not dare cross your Lord that way. It's an old-timey word. We don't really use it anymore except in church. Lord Jesus. Well, Lord? Really? Lord? Do you know what you're saying there? In medieval times, the vassal, their life was on the line at the Lord's pleasure. You served in their army. You, they could take your food. They could whatever. They just, your life was at their hand, in their hands. So we're not surprised when Jesus says in Matthew, why do you call me Lord, Lord, but don't do what I say? There's a boundary there. Love your neighbor as yourself. The implication is, the obvious thing is you're going to love yourself because you're sinful like me. And we love ourselves very easily and very well. So at the minimum, love your neighbor as you love yourself. The command there is not to love yourself. You don't need a command. You'll just naturally do it. Boundaries for relationships. In what way should I love people? How does God expect me to love other people? Am I supposed to love everybody? Who's someone you're not allowed to love? Do you know how they treat me? Okay, we've said this before. Would you call that person your enemy? Well, I would, yes. Love your enemies. It's in Matthew. Pray for those who persecute you. Bless them and do not curse them. Even the worst person in your life, you are to show a practical, Christ-centered love to them. Who are you allowed to hate? Good luck with that. You're not really. So there's boundaries to your relationships. 
The Ten Commandments is all about boundaries and relationships. What are you not allowed to take from somebody? Their property, their spouse. What do you, you're, you're supposed to respect and honor mom and dad. You're supposed to, all these things are great boundaries. Love the Lord your God. Worship Him only. These are all boundaries. The truth is a boundary for our relationships. So what standards should I live by? How do I treat people? Treat them according to the truth of the Word of God. So when he says to her, to the lady, and this is a church, chosen by God, I like that. Remember from 1 John, we love him because he first loved us. Those of you who belong to Christ, you're there because he chose you. You are elected by God. God chose you, and anything you're doing after that is responding to his love, which was, which was first. Those romantic movies, we, we watch them lean in for their first kiss, and we think about who's going to make the first move. Is, is he going to meet her kiss, or is she going to meet his kiss? Who's going to say, I love you first? Oh, who's going to say, yes, I love you too, not I love you. We, we think about those, or maybe I'm just weird. Probably just me. We are the I love you too when it comes to our love with God. We love because he first loved us. So he's now our boundary setter. Every relationship better be by his standard. Truth is a boundary for our relationships. Truth unites our stories. Look at this. To the lady chosen by God, to her children whom I love in the truth, and not I only, John writes, but all who know the truth. Because of the truth which lives in us and will be with us forever. We are all different. We all have different stories. We all have different experiences. We all have different this and different that. And I'm different than you and you're different than me. And we're, you're different than many of your people in your life. But as Christians, we have one thing in common. Jesus. And the truth of the gospel, that the unforgivable you has been forgiven by God, because he who did not sin died for you who did sin, you have that in common. So the divisions that the world makes and prom promulgates amongst us, the church, what identifies us is not what we don't have in common, but who we do. The truth unites our stories. I don't care if they have tattoos on their arm, piercings in their face. I don't care if they smell like they've never bathed. I don't care if their music is horrible and you can't stand it. I don't care if their worship music has 92 repeats. doesn't matter. We're seeing this now with one of our newest brothers. His name is Kanye, putting out a worship album to reach the people in his world. And it doesn't sound like something you may or may not have in your speakers in your car, but he's singing praises to Jesus and calling him king. Name a hymn that is better than that. There is none. We sing, all hail King Jesus. King Jesus. We sing about the king who comes at Christmas time. We sing about that king. Our brother Kanye is too. Think about what unites us with his story, not what divides us. And all of a sudden, a lot of the things that divide us in the church aren't worth the powder to blow them to Hades. To use the old timey phrase, Christians should be walking gospel illustrations. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son will be with us in truth and love. You should be a walking illustration of grace. What is grace? It is getting what I don't deserve. What is mercy? Not getting what I do deserve. The wages of sin is death. I should be dead because I am a sinner. And peace? 
Be peacemakers. You are a walking illustration of grace, mercy, and peace. Everyone who's in your life ought to know what grace is because they know you. They ought to know what mercy is because they know you. They ought to know what peace looks like because they know you. And it's not because of you, it's because of Jesus. A reminder, 4-6, to six, It has given me great joy, John continues, to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as the Father commanded us. And now, dear lady, I am not writing you a new command, but one we have had from the beginning. I ask that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk in obedience to his commands. As you have heard from the beginning, his command is that you walk in love. Two things here. Add a girl and keep going. There you go. This is the best kind of report. I'm hearing you're doing the right thing. Good job. All right. Add a girl. I used to tell some of my female friends, I said, guys are easy. It doesn't take much to figure us out. Give us a little scratch behind the ear every now and then. Give us something for our tummies. And give us an attaboy, and we're good. Here's an girl. He's writing to the chosen lady. girl and keep going. Warning, 7 to 10. This is the hard part of this, of this book. This is a little challenging. But oh well. I swim in the waters of challenging. Let's do this. I say this because many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world. Any such person is a deceiver and the Antichrist. Oh, there's that word he made up again. Yeah. Watch out that you do not lose what we have worked for, but that you may be rewarded fully. Hmm. Anyone who runs ahead and does not continue in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever continues in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not take them into your house or welcome them. Anyone who welcomes them shares in their wicked work. So what has been worked for? Some ancient texts have this as a second person plural. What you have worked for, the best manuscripts have what we have worked for. In John chapter 6, Jesus talks about doing the work of Almighty God, the Father. And it's tied to faith. Now, is this saying you can lose your faith? That's the challenging part about this. Because in the same John 6 passage, Jesus talks about, no one's able, who, all those the Father has brought me, no one's able to take them out of my hand. So we have this assurance that we who belong to Jesus, once we come to Jesus, we're good. Remember, if this is all about my choice, if this is all about my love, then it sounds like I can mess it up. In fact, I love what R.C. Sproul said, if we could lose our salvation, we would. We would. If I could lose my salvation, I know what kind of sinful hypocrite I've been and what I'm tempted to still be. If I could lose my faith, oh, I would. Please. Yeah. He's just talking about that, but we've got to finish the sentence here. See? Watch out that you do not lose what we have worked for, comma, but that you may be rewarded fully. What's been worked for? You see, this church is trying to exist out there. This one, kind of one and a half generations after Jesus, John is still alive. We're not surprised. Remember on the plains of Galilee, Jesus once says, some of you are not going to taste death before the kingdom. And Peter turns around and says, why does he get to stay alive? For this! Old man John is writing to these letters for these churches so he can bring them back in the fold here. To encourage them in their faith as all these deceivers are out there stirring the waters and poisoning the well. They work so hard. The Holy Spirit had done all this work to start reclaiming some of that enemy territory. 
And now the deceivers with their brand new spanking new gospel thing, gospel light. And everyone's like, oh, I got to try that. Oh, look, we got to see what's going on here. That's what's running forward here. Don't go running forward to get the next best thing. I have to have the new iPhone every year. I got to refresh my app. I got to update everything. I have to have everything brand new and brand new and brand new. No. Our faith is not brand new. There's no imp- improvement on Jesus. There is no Jesus or gospel 2.0 as if you can, you know, refresh your, your browser page or you can, you can download a brand new app. No. Grace remains grace, mercy remains mercy, peace remains peace. There's no sequel to that. It is what it is. What's the full reward? What would be lost? John's given the impression here that those who are going to claim Christ but run after everyone else, I don't don't see a lastingness to their faith there. Anyone who runs ahead and does not continue in the teaching of Christ doesn't have God. Because if you have God, you're going to stay with God. What God gives us in Christ is so amazingly awesome and different that once you've tasted that, I read an article the other day about Mini Cooper drivers. You know those little cars? And the article said that, yeah, I owned a Mini Cooper back in, I don't know, 2008, and then I bought another one, and then, you know what, I, I, for some reason I bought another car and I couldn't drive it. I just got sick of it. I had to go back to a Mini Cooper. Once you drive a Mini Cooper, this guy says, you can't drive anything else. Every other car is so different that you love what you once had. That's the gospel. I'm I'm, I'm still trying to picture me getting inside of a Mini Cooper. But this guy loved his Mini Cooper so much he could not drive any other style of vehicle because of the way the Mini Cooper hugged the road and it drove all that kind of... He missed that when it was not there. We talked about this last time. You have the real thing. So you won't accept substitutes. You could have a suitcase full of Monopoly money, but it's not going to spend. It could be a heavy suitcase Monopoly money. You could have the 500s and the 100s. You've like passed go like all day. You walk in there, I'm ready to spend. Oh, no, you're not. It's not going anywhere. Okay. The temptation to run ahead. What hospitality would communicate? This sounds awful. Like, ugh. Don't even invite them in your home. You've got to understand what, what the teaching world was like back then. Bible teachers, preachers were itinerant. They went from city to city and house church to house church. They were like me back when I used to be a youth pastor, way back in the day. The church I worked for said, um, yeah, you, you will stay in people's houses. When you come up for the weekend and, and do your youth ministry thing, a different family will host you. And uh, they paid me less money, but I didn't have to worry about room and board while I stayed in town. I, just, I stayed with the family, and the family had, you know, some teenagers there that were part of the youth group. You'll stay there, you get to know the family, eat their food, and that kind of stuff. A couple families like to send me back to, 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 to seminary with leftovers because knew I, they knew I would eat them. And uh, yeah, get to know people. They brought me into their house, and I would be part of their household for that weekend. If there were any family rules I needed to abide by, I abided by them, etc., etc. I wasn't really itinerant, but for the sake of the, uh, of the illustration, sure. These are people you would bring into your house. So if these people were trying to gain traction in a Christian community by spouting heretical nonsense, if you brought them into your house, all of a sudden they look like the real deal. Oh, I thought they were heretics, but, you know, the Johnsons just invited them in. Yeah, they're, they're breaking bread with these guys. 
I mean, most of you wouldn't even invite the Jehovah's Witness family from the front porch into your living room. And if you did, they're not going to stay overnight. They're not going to have dinner. Because what would that communicate? I mean, it's, it's kind of an odd example, but that's the idea. What are you communicating if you bring these guys in? You now give them standing. You now give them instant promotion. And like you're vouching for them. These people who are, who are talking, these, who are given this theology that is dividing the church, don't bring them in. Or you're going to share in their wicked work. Verse 12, I have much to write to you, but I don't want to use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to visit you and talk with you face to face so that our joy may be complete. That's nice. The best communication, by the way, is face to face, especially when you have to deliver tough stuff. Texting and email is the worst. Phone is tolerable. Or FaceTime or video chat or something. Because you get to know context. I mean, the whole reason my generation invented what we used to call emoticons, and they're not called emojis, little smiley face pictures in, in, in people's letters, is because you could write something to them, and you, all of a sudden you're realizing, oh, that sounded really harsh. They need to see a smiley face to know that I'm not trying to bite their head off. I'm really telling them, you know, I'm trying to be nice to them. You have to do that with the written word because you have no idea what they're saying. Oh my gosh, he hates me. No, he doesn't hate you. He just doesn't know how to communicate. Tough conversations have face-to-face at the minimum a phone call. He's like, I don't want to waste any more ink on this. I want to see you face-to-face. The children of your sister, who is also chosen by God, send their greetings. He's talking from church to church. Third John. The elder. To my dear friend, now, the Greek pronounces it Gaius. All right, you could maybe, maybe English we would say Gaius. I'm going to say Gaius. It's probably, Gaius is not bad, Gaius, but, but you know, it's to my dear friend Gaius, whom I love in the truth. So the first one he's writing to the elected lady, to the dear lady, to a church, he's writing this one to a guy. Wow. Maybe we'll see Gaius in heaven one day. I think we will. There's another one in in this little short letter we're not going to see in heaven, probably. We'll meet Gaius. Hey, what was it like to receive this letter? Did you know it was going to be the Bible? (laughs) When you checked your mail that day? Dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you, even as your soul is getting along well. It gave me great joy when some believers came and testified about your faithfulness to the truth, telling how you continue to walk in it. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Wow. Be a person who rejoices with others when good things happen. Is that you? Are you a person who, when you're scrolling down your Facebook page, only reluctantly likes someone else's happy post? Like, ah, uh, jeez. Oh, look at that. They've lost more weight. Or look at that. They're pregnant again. Or, oh, look at that. They have the happiest life in the world. They don't. You don't know how many takes they took of that Facebook picture before they finally posted one they could tolerate. You have no idea what's, what's really going on in their heart, but they're putting this avatar of themselves out there to make everyone think that life is perfect when their life it just stinks. But, oh, well. 
You put, you put your own picture out there, your own life out there. What's going on in your heart? Are you someone that rejoices with people when good things happen? Or are you like the opposite, where you put on a, a nice face, but on the inside you're kind of doing calisthenics and backflips when somebody shares a bad story? Oh, they're also going through something? Ooh, good, I feel a little bit better about my life knowing that, this, that Johnny Perfect over here is also struggling. Oh, wow, she looks like she has the perfect life. I'm so glad that she has to go through that because I'm sick of hearing and reading about all her nice things. I'm not like that. How dare you? Okay, good. But are you really that kind of person that, that you're for real rejoicing with people when good things happen? I mean, that's just something that he's, he, John is just like, you know what? I hope you have a good life. And I'm so glad to hear that your church, your little church, is, is, is getting it. And they're living the faith. And I'm hearing nothing but good reports from you. This is the opposite of gossip. You are not a gossip if you're telling about other people's life, but you're rejoicing with them. You're telling about how God has been faithful in their life and all the good things that they're doing. That's not gossip. Gossip tears down. Gossip points everything back at you in some way. Even if it just makes you feel better. Or makes you feel in control. This is, just, this is just lovely. He's just rejoicing with someone else. And God is showing up in that person's life. And John doesn't seem to have any malice at all. He's genuinely happy. Like, this is great. I really am glad that God has given you some comfort right now. Who's in charge? Freaking Rome. Being a Christian is not a popular thing. They're getting attacked from the outside and with these bozos on the inside dividing people, they're getting attacked from the outside and from the inside. There's not a lot to write home about here. And so John uses precious Bible real estate. He uses like, I don't know, 10% of a book of the Bible just to celebrate some dude in his life and what God's doing. Wow. Is that the way you operate? If not, Why? Be a person who rejoices with others when good things happen. Wow. Naomi finally gets a son again, doesn't she, in the book of Ruth. And what are the women of the town? We get the idea that they were like the pick a little, talk a little, pick a little, talk a little. The music man, you know, uh, townspeople just chatty, 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 chatty. And just, we get the idea that they're just like that. But all of a sudden, Naomi shows up and she's got a son. It's her grandson. But one that replaces the, all the men she lost, and they come around, they celebrate, Naomi has a son. They're rejoicing with someone who's rejoicing. Nothing is worse when someone's rejoicing and you're, you're the, uh, the, 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 the poopy party or whatever it is. You're, you're, you're the one who's just like, oh, well, it must be nice. Uh. Seriously? The last thing you want to hear is, that, can't you just be happy for me? Don't you know how rough my life has been? And finally, I get something nice like this, and I'm just so overjoyed, and I just want my friends to over, be rejoicing with me and to celebrate with me. The woman who sweeps her house to find that coin, she finds the coin, and they have a party. I mean, they, 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 they throw a party when the one sheep is found. The prodigal son comes home, and God runs. Oh, pardon me, the dad runs. It's also a metaphor for God running so much of us were like the older brother. Yeah, when am I going to get my fatted cat? 
and this bozo runs away, and he comes back, and oh, look at this guy, you know. Rejoice with people. We're spending so much time on this. Yeah, it's kind of cool how this actually happens. What's the church like? What's your family like? This is family talk here. One sister to another sister, and the sisters are churches. It's so tempting when you're like me and you're a small church pastor and you're an independent, non-denominational church and you're struggling like mad to keep going and every other church in your category is this gigantic church. And you're like, well, if we get visitors, if we get visitors, they're going to come and go, oh, this is cute. But I was looking for a non-denominational church that was, you know, like, you know, (laughs) going for it. And you're just like, you go, boy. You know, they don't come back. And we're left to wonder about the, the larger churches out there. Like, oh, geez, I wish I could have their problems. Look at that. They're having issues with their staff. I'm my only staff. Well, geez, all this kind of stuff. I would give anything to potty train kids if I could have kids. I would give anything to have a job problem if I could have a job. I would give anything to have your weight loss issues. Don't you see my weight loss issue? And we, we talk about all these things. Rejoice with people. Like, really rejoice and mean it in your heart. And wow, that's what life ought to be like. That's Christianity right there. That's what makes us different. Reminder 5 to 8. Dear friends, you are faithful in what you are doing for the brothers and sisters, even though they are strangers to you. Again, this itinerant ministry. These guys coming to teach. In fact, we're going to meet a man named Demetrius at the end of the book. Demetrius is the one John is sending this letter to Gaius with. So Demetrius is going to be the next preacher coming from John. And John's giving this guy, an, you know, like he's vouching for him. And he's carrying this letter to Gaius. He's going to be the guy. So he's saying, Gaius, your church actually welcomes strangers, invites them in, because they are here to teach you. Take good care of them. They're strangers to you. They have told the church about your love. Please send them on their way in a manner that honors God. It was for the sake of the name they went out, receiving no help from the pagans. We ought, therefore, to show hospitality to such people so that we may work together for the truth. Yeah. Yeah. Continue to care for and do right by your teachers. Now, I'm one of them. I'm on staff at this church. And I can tell you, this church does a good job of taking care of its teachers. The little church I was at for many years, I didn't get paid a lot, but they gave me a house to live in. It was extremely generous. That house right now is now a pond. About 200 feet that way. They took very very good care of us. We have no complaints. We are very, very honored to do this. No pastor gets into the pastor career, pastoring ministry for money. And those that do... (laughs) they have their own issues. Most people who think they are in it for the money don't ever make money anyway. Do you write by your teachers, a practical way to partner in the ministry? I don't feel like my life has been worth that much. I don't feel like I'm not on stage. I'm not up there talking. I'm not doing all this. I don't feel like I'm doing anything for God. But you're faithful to your church. You give generously. You provide for the ministry. There are so many missionaries, groups, and and ministry partners, we call them here, at the bridge. And you are playing your role in bringing the gospel. You send your Operation Christmas Child boxes all around the world. You are doing your part. John would give you credit. Showing hospitality to such people. 
So there's people in the church, they're not doing anything, but they're providing a, a place to lay down and a meal for a traveling preacher. And they're working together for the truth. That's pretty cool. You may not feel like you've done much for Jesus, but he knows what you've done. He knows the heart that you used when you gave. The great practical way to partner in the ministry. Warning, 9 to 10. I wrote to the church, but Diotrephus, boo, hiss. I don't know if we're going to find this guy in heaven or not. Don't know. I'm not the man's judge, but just, just basing upon what, what a couple of verses we get. Get this. I wrote to the church by Diotrephus, who loves to be first. Ooh. My buddy has, has this idea about his tombstone. He's like, here's what's going to be on my tombstone. Not always right, but never in doubt. Let that sink in. Diotrephus loves to be first. Wow. He will not welcome us. So when I come, I will call attention to what he is doing, spreading malicious nonsense about us. Not satisfied with that, he even refuses to welcome other believers. He also stops those who want to do so and puts them out of the church. Golly. Our blank here. The faithful Christian is continuously second. The faithful Christian is continuously second. Husbands! Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Husbands, you are at best second. Wives, what's your response? You are at best second. Christian, you exist to follow Jesus. And to do so, you must deny yourself. You are second at best. I can't wait to date this person. Well, he at best, Christian, is going to be the number two man in your life. Ma'am, you at best are going to be the number two in his life. You are continuously second. Diotrephus loves to be first. I get it. We all love recognition. Some of us love upfront recognition. Some of us are mortified by upfront recognition. They don't want to be recognized at all. They're more introverted. They'd rather be recognized behind the scenes and fine. But deep down in your heart, you're like, ooh, I'm appreciated. Mm, they noticed. Mm. That's different than always having to be first. And there are some people that live by drama. And drama is their currency. And that's all they do is, is, is just constantly take that machine and crank it. And they got to have some drama in their life because that drama points back to them. It points back to your response to them. And you'll see it with the way they do on social media. Oh my gosh, I can't believe this happened. Oh. And they want their entire legion of Facebook friends to go, oh honey, it's oh, oh come on, he wasn't worth it. Or, or boy, this one right here, he let a good one get, out, get away from him and, and all these things. And It's all about the drama. I don't hate people. We've already been over that. But that kind of person, as a pastor, I don't know how to minister to that kind of person. That person's very tedious. Where I am always feeling like I'm walking on eggshells with that person. Oh, geez. How do they view me now? Gosh, I never know. And no, I don't need to know because life isn't about me. But I don't want to think about that when I'm caring for somebody. Like if I have to say what I have to say, but God is prompting me to tell these people through his word and I'm worried about, oh my gosh, they're going to go and they're going to just like, oh, I don't want to live life anymore because I got c confronted on something. 
and it's all about drama. Be continuously second and watch how your life works out. You will be the best friend. You will be the best spouse. You will be the best sibling. You will be the best child. When you literally are caring for people more than you care for yourself, that's what Philippians 2 talks about. That's what Jesus did. Why can't you do that? Diotrephus couldn't. He always had to be first. So much so, he was a horrible leader. I wrote down here, horrible leaders are divisive, discouraging, tyrannical, inhospitable, and they are gossips. Those are present and horrible leaders. I am very blessed. I do not serve under those kind of people. The church I work at here, very good leaders. I aspire to be one of them. But I know in my darker moments, I, I might go to some of those things, and I got to knock it off. Closing, 11 to 14. Dear friend, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. Anyone who does what is good is from God. Anyone who does what is evil has not seen God. Demetrius is well spoken of by everyone, even by the truth itself. Check out that sometime. It's like the very truth of Jesus is, is giving this guy an attaboy. Wow, what a line. We also speak well of him. And you know that our testimony is true. So this Demetrius that's coming with the letter, that's coming to be your next teacher, yeah, he's good. And, and he comes with my attaboy. You like me? I'm vouching for him. So whatever, Demet whatever a diatrophist has to say about this guy, forget about it, but I'm vouching for him. We'll meet Demetrius one day. I have much to write to you, but I, I, I don't want to do so with pen and ink. This whole thing again. I hope to see you, but we will talk face to face. Peace to you. The friends here send their greetings. Greet the friends there by name. Wow. Isn't that great? I have much to write to you, but I don't want to do so with pen and ink. That's great stuff. He wants to be there. Spend time with people. What's the family of God of like? This is the blessing of Christ Christian friendship. The blank there, you were always imitating someone. You never stopped being that two and three year old. You were always imitating someone. Some of you can't wait for the next year's fashion to come out. I don't know. Obviously it's me. I'm the fashion, most fashionable fat guy you know. Other people are like, oh, I can't wait to see what uh, this celebrity is going to do or what this slate of TV channels is going to give me. I, I want to see what the next, some of us are real social media people. Oh, what's the new popular meme going to be the next time? And for those of you listening to my words right now, something about a woman pointing at a cat angrily and a cat responding back with something snippy. That's a popular meme right now. If you're listening to this years later going, what? Yeah, I know. Okay. But seriously, is that the kind of person you are? Is your friendship as a Christian different? You actually care for people? You want what's best for people? You want them to know this Jesus that has changed your life? That you actually love them? That this ancient 2,000-year-old document actually means something to you? Wow. That's not just some really, you know, stuffed shirt, stand up, sit down, kneel, say a, uh, sing a song, sit down again. It's just a real stuffed, boring religion thing. Oh, I got better things to do on my Sunday morning. You actually don't. 
the very fact that the God of the universe wants to receive your praise, your praise, knowing full well how you spent the night before, the week before, the, the, the decade before, he still wants you. He wants your heart. He wants to extend you grace. He wants to give you mercy. He wants peace with you so badly he sent his son Jesus to die to make it happen. And you get to gather and you get to praise his name. That is literally the best possible way to spend a morning. I've already told you. When I get to heaven, Jesus is literally going to have to pick me off the ground. I'm going to be on this face, arms out, mumbling into whatever the streets of gold I'm mumbling into. Thank you. Thank you. What was that? Whatever it sounds like in eternity, I am just going to be crying and just say thank you until he says, get up. Come on. We've got a party to get to. It's called heaven. Rejoice with me, brother. Even me? Yeah. But I'm going to be on my face thanking God because I know the sinner I have been. And I know what grace looks like because God forgave a bum like me. Oh, goodness, me. And he forgives you. And so when you see people who need rejoicing with them, rejoice, brother. They need you to party with them because God's doing something in their life. Party with them. They need to know joy. They need to know peace. They need, to know, they need you to extend mercy to them because they're bozos like you are and do stupid things and say stupid things. They need grace because the best kind of celebrating comes from a God and comes through his glory, to his glory. Wow. This is how church was 2,000 years ago. This needs to be church right now because he hasn't come back again. We're living in the time between the two advents. The first advent was 2,000 years ago. We're having our advent calendars right now. And some churches light advent candles. The first advent has come, we're waiting for the second advent when he comes again and ends human history. Until then, how's he going to find you? Would you be more like Diotrephus, being first all the time? Or more like Gaius? Loving people until it hurt, and then loving them some more. Family is a great thing. Our Christian family is the greatest thing because it was secured by Almighty God through the blood of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. Family from 2nd to 3rd John. Thanks for letting me share.